Welcome to the Off Ramps Podcast. I'm your host and co-founder of the Off Ramp, Kristen. We know what it's like to feel helpless when faced with the magnitude of the world's problems. You want to do something about it, but don't know how or where to start. Well, that's why we're here. At the Off Ramp, our goal is twofold. First, to keep you informed about the ongoings in immigration, migration, and global affairs. And second, to connect you with opportunities to make a real difference in the lives of forcibly displaced people both near and far. Practical and positive change is possible. Let's work together to make it happen. A quick note about today's recording. We recorded this podcast at my mom's house, and there are a handful of noise distractions. You're going to hear the pitter-patter of dogs walking around, the occasional whine demanding attention, a phone alert or two, and unfortunately the remnants of mom's lingering cold. Now, we wish we had the technology and know-how to up-level the production of our podcast, but we're just going to have to trust that for now, you don't mind that we're real people living real lives. Thanks so much for listening and connecting with us. Hi, everyone. We are back with our November episode of the Off-Ramp Podcast, and we have a very special guest with us today. Mom, how old was I when I met Aunt Stacy? Brandon had not been born, had he? No, so yeah, you were two. I didn't realize I met you before Brandon was born. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, she was there before Brandon was born, and then we went back to Africa when he was a newborn. Mm-hmm. And she was still there. That's pretty crazy. So more than 30 years that we've known each other. We're really excited because in addition to being my Aunt Stacy, she is the founder of the Esther Project Shop. Now, if you follow us on social media, then you've probably heard us talk about the Esther Project Shop a number of uh, times. In fact, we sell some of their wares at threadsbynomad.com. We wanted to talk to her today to learn more about the Esther Project Shop, to introduce all of you to her and to this incredible project and then really just to share some stories and I kind of want to start there with you mom can you tell us how you met Aunt Stacy and why we've known her for this long now yeah so um, my husband Butch and I served um, in West Africa Senegal for quite a few years Um, we arrived there when you were two Um, no actually I'll take that back you were only 18 months uh, not quite two, and um, we had a social center, taught English, um, had sewing classes, and young people would come and spend two to three years and work with us. And Stacy was one of the very first ones to come. And I think you were with us almost two years when three you years. Had, three years when you had to unexpectedly return mm-hmm. um, back to the U.S. So that's how she knew both you and Brandon. So. Most important question of the podcast, what were my parents like back then? (laughs) (laughs) We were amazing people. I'm Uh just telling you. (laughs) I'll I'll just leave it with that. that. (laughs) I will tell you that you and Brandon thought that you were part mine. Oh, yeah? And so when we vacationed together, we came home to the U.S. together, and I came to Tennessee, and you all went to... Texas, I guess, Uh but you spent one of those weeks, you and Brandon spent a week and a half with me in Tennessee because you could not understand why 
we were not all going to Texas or we were not all going to Tennessee. So oh, yeah. you came and stayed there because we lived, um, they had a house and I had an apartment right next to it. So we were always together. Um, we worked together and we ate together and we went to church together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's why I call you Aunt Stacy, your family. Mm-hmm. And they must have not scared you away too much because here we are 30 some odd years later recording this podcast. Um, I have had the amazing privilege of working with Aunt Stacy uh, on a few aspects of the Esther Project shop. And I, throughout the process, have not just been impressed with what you do, but also why you do it and the impact that you're having. And that's really what I, I want to talk about today. Can you tell us a little bit maybe just about yourself and how you got involved in work in Kenya and how the Esther Project shop developed. Sure. Um, Like Nell said, I spent um, almost three years in West Africa and felt like God had really called me into missions there and um, had to make an unexpected departure because of um, illness. And so that kind of changed the course, which um, gave me a different mission field because um, God brought into my life at that point over the next several years, six children. There was actually more than six children, but six that I adopted um, that had been either in the foster care system or were going into the foster care system if I didn't take them, Um, two of which are my youngest, and they are both special needs. And so it's been a whole different mission field, but they're all adults now. And that desire and that longing to serve overseas has never left me. So I um, started working with Missions to the World. The first trip I took was to Kenya on a new concept they had of a women's health symposium, where they not only ran the medical clinics like we do at other places in the world, but they taught classes as well. And so that's how I first got to Kenya. I had never obviously been to East Africa, been to several West African countries. Uh, but never got to go to East Africa, and that's how I first got into Kenya. What was that first trip to Kenya like? Um, It was amazing. It it was really funny. The first time we landed and they came to pick us up at the airport, I looked over and um, there were giraffes over to the left, so I thought that... um, there were wild animals all over Kenya, only to discover that there is actually just a national park right outside of Nairobi, so we could see it. Um, But it was very different from Senegal. Um, It was not as barren, as desert as Senegal is, so it it was a very different look initially when we got there. Mm -hmm. And what happened in Kenya that you decided you needed to do something how did, and how did that become the Esther Project shop? Okay. One of um, the second year we were there, um, they asked me to teach on human trafficking because um, my background here in the U.S. is I worked violent crimes for almost 30 years for the state of Tennessee, everything from the crime scene to the autopsies to the court prep. And so they asked me to teach on human trafficking. And when I realized that there are 50 children a week trafficked in Kenya, um, it, it was something I couldn't even really wrap my head around. And as I began to look at the causes, it's because the average female tries to feed her family on less than $2 a day. Mm. Um, and although they had skills 
as far as artistry skills. They could make baskets, they could sew, they could make do bead work. They had nowhere to market them because the, the houses in the village where they lived or even those in the city were just as poor as they were. Um, so that's how the Esther Project kind of came about, was how, was how could I help market what they did because they do beautiful work. And um, I wanted to just figure out a way to give them a sustainable income so that they didn't have to worry about trafficking because we know statistically if you can give someone a sustainable income, the risk of trafficking is reduced to almost zero. Mm -hmm. So now tell us, now that we're, we're at this part in the story, what is the Esther Project Shop? It is exactly that. It is, a, it is a shop where we take the products that the women in Kenya make and we market them for them. Um, we do it a little bit different than some of the other companies I looked at when I first started looking into it. Um, I noticed that a lot of the companies, what they did was the women worked um, almost on a commission where they had to make the products and wait until the company sold those products. And I didn't want the Esther Project Shop to be that. I wanted them to be able to have a sustainable income that they could count on that they had in hand. And so what we do at the Esther Project Shop is we buy the products from the women and then we market them online for them. I mean, it's very similar to what we do at Threads by Nomad Mom. I can only think of one instance where we've agreed to um, work on a, on a commission for someone right. who, who wanted us to test her product. But other than that, we really have pretty systematic. I'm trying to think of any other... Uh, um, any no, it's, other... pretty, it's pretty much the same idea. I think one of the things that's really important is to realize that we are now a global economy. And because we do have the cap capability of um, not only marketing, but shipping. And I realize that during the days of COVID, this is not as easy as it used to be. Um, but, you know, when we first went to Senegal, something like this was not possible. Mm. We could mm -hmm. not make these kinds of purchases. We couldn't bring it back. We couldn't sell it. But it is possible now, and so I absolutely believe in the idea that the gifts and the talents that these women and, and men, not, not just women, that they have are things that we here in the West can and should appreciate. And I think it brings an element of diversity into our lives, um, but it also helps each of us feel like when we are spending money, we're not just throwing money away on something that's just for us. It's actually accomplishing another purpose. So, yeah, we very much have the same philosophy, which is why when Stacy started telling us what she was doing, um, we were like, hey, we can get on board with this. Absolutely. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the types of things that these women and men, it's just one guy right now, yes, right? Yes, these women man. and this one guy, um, what types of things do they make? Um, they make baskets. They're hand-woven baskets um, out of straw and yarn. Some of them are made out of a plant that looks very much like an aloe plant. It's called a skip plant. And they strip it and roll it and dye it. And it's a big, long process. Um, but we have converted those baskets into um, a more sustainable product into purses as well. Mm -hmm. um, they make jewelry. Um, they're made out of beads that are paper rolled, they're made out of the Maasai um, in Kenya are known for their beadwork. that is the tiny little beads that they create so we use some of their their beadwork and earrings and bracelets. Um, in Dickie our, our one man makes um, flip-flop animals, the, they're animals that are carved out of recycled flip-flops, there's over one million flip-flops <coughs> that, that wash up on the, the 
Indian Ocean side every year in Kenya. Mm-hmm. So they pick them up and he cleans them up and they make um, animals out of them. Um, we have a lady that makes stuff out of patchwork. She uses scraps of material to make patchwork backpacks and cosmetic bags, lunch boxes, a lot of mm-hmm. different things like that that we carry. Um, they make table runners out of banana leaves and out of rafa grass that we carry. So all kinds of things out of very natural, ready products there that we probably would not think of here in the U.S. to use to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, it's been a little bit of a personal problem working with you because every time I do, I remember just how much I love the things that you sell and end up <laughs> spending more than I probably should, but should isn't a word I like to use. So um, I, the baskets in particular are one of my favorite things, and I love how, you tra- how you've transformed them into bags, uh, several of which I now gladly <clears throat> own. Uh, tell me what has been or what have been the greatest challenges in getting the Esther Project Shop off the ground? In particular, what have been the challenges of working with people so far away who speak a different language potentially or um, just culturally don't have the same types of expectations that we might hear? I think one of the biggest um, obstacles has been just getting it here, mm-hmm. um, getting to a point where we we were um, ready to ship in in bulk in a container as opposed to what I can bring back in suitcases which is is how I have been doing it I just take multiple suitcases and pay for any extra that I have to and when friends go when we do the women's health symposiums they know that they get two bags but (coughs) one of them is for the Esther project shop when they come back Mm -hmm. and so that's how we've been transporting it but we're we're to the point now that we're actually working on a shipping part of a shipping container so we're really excited about that. That is exciting. Mom, can you speak to that a little bit more? I don't think people realize just how challenging it can be to ship product from these parts of the world to the U.S. Because we've run into that problem with oh Threads my. by Nomad. Yes, we have. Um, and, and in fact, what, what Stacy is talking about is one of the things that, that we do. Uh, if somebody's traveling somewhere where we want some fabric or we've got an, an artisan that wants to send some stuff back to us, um, you know, we say, hey, would you mind carrying an extra suitcase and, you know, we'll, we'll pay for the luggage fee or whatever. Um, you know, first of all, cost is an issue, huge issue. Um, it, and it just raises the, the cost then of the item for the purchaser um, to, to almost a prohibitive level. And mm-hmm. so, um, so we, we've tried to avoid that. Um, lost packages has been an issue a couple of years ago. We had a huge shipment from Kyrgyzstan and we lost half of it. And what's really sad about that is if we don't get product, then we don't pay for it. So the people who lose are the ones who have been making the product. That's very disheartening for them and for us. Um, we too have, have looked into the shipping container and, and uh, one of the issues with that is you really need to order a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can't, you can't just order a bit and, and think that that's going to be okay. Um, so one of the things we've looked into because we wanted some things from Senegal was sharing a container. You know, how many people are coming back? Have what part of a container can we have? Just overcoming all of these things. And then of course, you know, you've, you've got all of the tax issues and, and so trying to find ways to make this happen, um, so that costs do not become prohibitive to our purchasers, um, is, is definitely, definitely an issue. But on the other side, when you talk about fair trade, 
and you talk about the issue of human trafficking and you talk about being fair to the various governments that you're shipping from and shipping to, these costs are not unfair. Mm. Um, yes, it does get written into the price tag at the end, um, but it's a completely fair thing to say, okay, we've got this cost added in, this cost added in, this cost added in, and um, you know, and then a final cost that might be a little bit higher than what you would like. Uh, think of one of the <clears throat> organizations that we work with um, by the time they shipped to us from Ethiopia and Uganda, um, had we bought the article there, legitimately wouldn't cost quite as much. Um, so yeah, these are challenges for sure. I, I will say though, on another level, one of the reasons to do this, and one of the reasons to, instead of just thinking about that end cost, um, it is preventing the issue of human trafficking. Um, Stacy made a, a great point as far as the numbers of people and the percentages, but one of the things about human trafficking is that it is not just sex trafficking. Most of the human trafficking happening is labor trafficking. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why, especially if you go and you look at some of the pictures on Stacy's website, you're going to see uh, women of all ages. It's not just <clears throat> young women who may be being trafficked. We also need to remember that children are trafficked. Um, and this, more often than not, um, is labor, not just sex. So paying these extra fees and being willing to do a little bit more um, in terms of getting the product here, remember, it's not just paying taxes and shipping. It's literally making an investment in the life of a person to prevent them from becoming trafficked. So Stacy, that actually gets me to my next question. Um, so thanks for setting that up so beautifully for me, Mom. Can you tell us more about these people, the the team behind the Esther Project Shop? You and I were chatting earlier, and we're working on an email that you're going to send out that basically shares the message that yes, while people might know you as sort of the face of the Esther Project Shop, it's really not about you. It's about all of these incredible people that you've encountered in Kenya. Can you tell us about some of them? Sure. Um, one of them, and he will be featured in our, our newsletter for Thanksgiving, is Ndiki, our, our male that works with us, and he was actually trafficked. He, he worked for a company that paid slave wages, and um, when I set the Esther Project up, it was initially set up for women, but um, when I got to talking to some, to some of the women in Kabira, which is the largest slum in all of Africa, um, they were telling me about this man that they helped. And he makes the flip-flop animals and wanted to send his son to university. And because he made slave wages, he could not borrow the money to do that and did not have the money to do that. And so they agreed there in Kabira where they don't make $2 a day, they make maybe $2 a week or every two weeks. Um, they put their money together to buy him what he needed in order to make these flip-flop animals. Wow. And then they paid for him to move out of Kibera so no one stole the machine that he used to work with. And they kept describing this fancy machine. And the first time I saw it, I, I really don't know what I was expecting, but what I saw was a motor with two arms with sandpaper on each arm. And that was the, the machine they were so worried was going to be stolen. But they moved he and his family to this tiny room that you will see where he's making them, but it has electricity so he can monitor, he can work with his equipment there and <coughs> live there. 
And so the Esther Project decided that if it was important enough to these women that they were willing to give up extra money that they had living there in Kibera to help this man, and then it was important enough to us. And just a side note of that, his son has graduated from university now, mm -hmm. and he did that in May, and he is helping his father, um, who also employs other employees when he gets a lot of orders for the flip-flop animals. He has taught them to make them so that he can pull them out of jobs that they're making slave wages on. So a lot of people don't understand some of the terms that we use when we talk about fair trade and human trafficking. What do you mean by slave wages? Um, he made... Some days he made less than five cents a day, and he would work anywhere from 12 to 16 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And how, how is that trafficking? Can you connect those two for me? Because those people live in such a pover impoverished state to begin with, and they, they need some kind of job. So um, although he, his was a little bit different, his was trafficked in, in the sign of wages. Um, we have worked with some people that have actually been trafficked where their children were promised jobs somewhere else and when they got there not only did they not get their jobs it was in another country they pulled their passports um, and they were kept basically as hot I mean they were hostages um, there mm -hmm. and were not allowed to leave mm -hmm. so one of the one of the key elements to human trafficking is the is the issue of force fraud or coercion so when you make a poor wage like that, but you're in a, a situation where anything is good, there's a coercion there of, you know, oh, hey, if you want to eat, then you, you know, you'll, you need to have this job. Or if you don't do this, then your family's not going to be taken care of. And they use it against you. They coerce you. I mean, there is the kind where it's force, like mm -hmm. she said, you know, or fraud, where you think you're getting one job or another. It is an important distinction to make, though, especially here in the United States, because there is a difference between unfair labor and human trafficking. And the element is this. Can you walk away? Can you leave? Is, is it, are you completely free to say, I don't want to do this anymore? Now, you might not get paid, and you might not get paid fairly, and yes, there are laws against that. But that's not human trafficking. Human trafficking happens where mm -hmm. you have no choice. Mm -hmm. You're coerced into this, either because you live in that kind of poverty situation um, and people are using it against you and tricking you or forcing you. Um, so that that is an element that, especially when it comes to how you treat the victim, um, is, is, is critical. And, and that's very true, and, and that's what happened with him, is basically it was you either work for us or we'll see to it that you don't work for anyone else. Mm. So it was it wasn't optional, really, for another job. Mm -hmm. What other stories can you share with us? I have been so personally impacted by becoming more familiar with the, the people that you're working with in Kenya just through our partnership, but who else has really made an impression on you personally? Well, there's, there's so many of them, but I, I guess one of the other um, groups that we don't talk a lot about but that we use is um, we have partnered with a school um, called the, J, school, the Jabez School, and it's a school that teaches young girls. Most of them are from 11 to about 18 how to sew. And the idea behind it is um, to make them more valuable to their 
family, specifically to their fathers, because they belong to a tribe that is still, um, they practice multiple marriages, but they also practice female genitalia mutilation. And because the men, the fathers get dowries for the young girls, a lot of times they will marry them off at 10, 9, 10, 11 to a much older man as a fourth, fifth, sixth wife. And the idea behind the school was that if um, they had a skill, they would be more valuable to the family because they could bring an income. The problem that they've tried to overcome is being able to pay for the school fees, which um, for everything that they do, room and board, their teacher, their pro, you know, their um, supplies, learning, all of that is less than thirty-five U.S. dollars a month. But they don't mm -hmm. have that, so the Esther Project has partnered with them, and they make some of our backpacks for us, and they make enough that it pays for the girls' school, um, and that has been very important to us. We sat down and tried to figure out for how to do it because what we were doing wasn't working because two of the girls dropped out and in less than a month they were married and one of them was 12 and one of them was 15. Um, and, and can I just interject here? Um, that type of marriage is human trafficking. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is part of the definition of, of human trafficking and it happens way more than we would imagine that it does. Um, so to keep a whole family in a situation where what they're earning sustains a family is in essence preventing mm -hmm. this type of thing from happening. Can you explain how that type of arranged marriage is human trafficking? So, um, and in different places it's different ages, but basically when you are under a certain age, whether it's 18 and some places it's 16, um, if you are under a certain age and you are married against your choice, or you had no say in it, it is considered human trafficking. Mm. So you're working with the school, but these two young women dropped out and were married. So how did you, you change the model of partnership? Yes, what we changed was we they were just making them, the older students were making them the second year students because they were the only one that mm. were really at a point that they could make the backpacks. So we hired a former student who makes them and we pay her to make them. And we have settled on a wage for her and then she assists the younger girls in making them so that they can meet their school fees. Wow, that's amazing, it's really amazing. So how long has the Esther Project shop been a thing? It's, has it been a couple, two years? Two years. Okay, that's what I thought. And mom, when did the off-ramp first begin partnering loosely at first with the the Esther Project Shop? I don't know. Stacy and I have probably been talking about it for over a year mm -hmm. in one way or another. Um, I mean, we had already followed a lot about when she was going to, to Kenya back and forth. Um, and then when she started it, we began talking to each other about product, um, what would sell, what was marketable. Um, and then really, it was about six months ago that we said, okay, well, it's time to start putting a little bit more meat to the matter, and we began talking in more formal partnership. And what does that partnership look like today? So um, we're working on a couple of different things, still working on product design, still working on quality control, um, you know, helping, helping Stacy help the women know what needs to happen in order for a product uh, to, to be able to sustain 
the packaging and the shipping, etc. You've got to have a product that is sturdy enough that it can do all of that. Um, and then the design, like, you know, the, some of the bags we've talked about, there have been little embellishments that were like, oh, well, we think this might be better or that might be better. Um, and then, um, and then you've been working with her on some of her marketing skills and ways that she can get the word out about um, the Esther project. Um, and then just lots of consultation as, as Stacy comes across things that's like, huh, wonder what about this, wonder how this might work. Um, you know, then she reaches out and yeah, we do what we can. Well, and Threads by Nomad sells oh things well yes there we go <laughs> I was waiting for you to get there so we started carrying a selection of the Esther Project Shops products uh, at threadsbynomad.com when did we list our first items a few months this summer was, was this summer mm -hmm. I think yeah. yeah because I had come here yes. the sandals the sandals the sandals were right. our first thing and they sold I mean so like quickly. almost immediately mm -hmm. and I tell you I put those sandals on and I have worn them as much as 12 hours mm -hmm. and standing up on my feet they're very comfortable they are very comfortable but that was one of the first things we worked up on product design mm -hmm. um, when she first did this and um, I went ahead and we got a couple of pair and I was able to evaluate them and say, okay, well, look, they need to change this, they need to change that, they need, and then that's when they came up with the mm -hmm. design that then we eventually uh, purchased. purchased. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I love them. Yeah, so we've, we're carrying currently uh, a mix of accessories and baskets, home decor, ornaments for the holidays. I love the, the angel ornaments that we have from you all. I hope to be getting bags in the future, like I mentioned earlier. Clearly, I'm quite fond of your woven bags. Uh, so we hope to carry more of those types of things in the future. You also have a lot of your own product listed at theestherprojectshop.com. You can shop there. I typically end these podcasts in the same way. And that is the question of hope. Because especially in a year where every, a lot, I was going to say everything, not everything feels hopeless, a lot, though, feels rather hopeless. And I am mindful of the stories that you've told me and the pictures that I've seen and that as hopeless as things may seem here, I can only, no, I can't even begin to imagine how hopeless <coughs> they may seem there. And nonetheless, we believe at the off-ramp that there is always hope. Where do you see the hope? Um, you know, I see the hope with Catherine who has been able to move from a little room that had no electricity to somewhere that has electricity and to get a phone that we can communicate directly with. Um, that has been a direct result. I see the hope in the fact that they've been able to maintain and continue, even though they've been locked down, much longer than we were. Um, as a matter of fact, they were only out of lockdown for about a month, a month and a half when um, they started asking them to stay at home again. Um, but the women and Indiki have continued to work on products so that they would have something so that we could sell it. Mm -hmm. When do you get to go back, or when do you hope to go back? Well, I'm hoping that we're going back. I'm going back the middle of Jan middle to end of January. Um, I actually should have just returned yesterday, um, but because of the new regulations that the president put in place the day before we were to get on the plane, I could not go um, this month. So the plan is to go the in the middle to end of January.
And when you're there, what will you do? Will you look at product? Will you purchase product? We will look at pro I will look at product. I will purchase product. Um, I will look at some new products that we're trying to to start. Um, we will come up with brainstorming ideas of new products, mm -hmm. things that um, they have come up with. That's been one of the really neat things. A lot of times the women aren't really encouraged to think outside the box. And that is one of the things I've really pushed them out of their comfort zone on is think out of the box, you know, besides just baskets, which are beautiful, but they use them daily and we would not use them daily. They're more of a home decor for us. Mm -hmm. I said, what else can we do with this material, with these type of, this type of work? And so to see them think outside the box and get excited about things, um, we're hoping to um, have some backpacks made out of that as well as a different kind of purse that they're working on as we speak. Cool. Well, I'm excited to see uh, to see the new products. You gave me a sneak peek earlier, and the, the new backpacks especially are, are totally my jam. Um, how can people support you? How Where can they find you? And then how can they help? Um, <coughs> they can find us at theesterprojectshop.com for our website. Um, on Facebook, we're at the Esther Project Shop. Mm -hmm. on Facebook and then on Instagram we're the Esther Project shop and it's hash it's the hash underscores underscores yeah there. underscores between each word yes mm -hmm. and um, so they can find us there um, we have a donate page if you want to donate obviously we would love for you to shop and spread the word because word of mouth is the best advertisement we can get mm -hmm. um, those are ways you can find us my phone number is listed if you want to call us along with a um, a email which is info at the Esther project shop .com, mm -hmm. and you can reach me that way mm -hmm. I can't stress enough to you our listeners how worthy this project is I don't always get to have such an in-depth uh, participatory role in our partnerships and so I've been really privileged to um, to have that with the Esther project shop and it it's just good work and it's good people um, and beautiful, beautiful things. I encourage you to visit their website, theesterprojectshop.com. I encourage you to follow them on Instagram and on Facebook. And of course, if you are looking for gifts for the holidays um, at very affordable prices, frankly, that still has really shocked me um, at how affordable you've been able to make your things despite all of the challenges that we've spoken about and the commitment to fair trade. So still really great prices for a purchase that has meaning, that has purpose. Um, purchase with purpose this holiday at threadsbynomad.com or at theesterprojectshop.com. Thank you. Thank you for still being in my life and being a meaningful part of my life 30 years, 30 plus years later. Uh, and we're just really excited to see where the Esther Project Shop goes from here. Thanks for listening to the Off-Ramps podcast. If you were inspired to act during this conversation, you can find us and learn more at theofframp.org or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Helplessness and hopelessness do not have to define your future or the world's. Become a change maker today.